We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 192 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, November 22nd, 2021. It is a happy Monday in the nation's capital. It is the Monday of Thanksgiving week, 2021. And so given that we are coming off a Washington football team victory and given that for most of you, this is a short work week, let me be the first to say the following to you. Happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Daddy boy. Oh, Daddy boy. How about your boys? The Washington football team has itself a winning streak, finally, in this 2021 NFL season. The revenge of Ron was achieved. The revenge of Don Ron was exacted. A 27-21 win at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. Washington now 4-6. and six. Taylor Heineke, excellent for a second consecutive game. Washington's defense, good for a second consecutive game. Oh, our team still has plenty of things about which to be concerned. But at least for now, we have positive vibes and some hope for what this season could end up being. Again, happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Danny, happy Thanksgiving. Interesting, isn't it, that the NFL scheduled this Revenge of Ron game just days before Thanksgiving, off what Dan Snyder said at that Ron Rivera introductory press conference as Washington head coach 
in January 2020. The famous Happy Thanksgiving line. But anyway, hello and welcome to a special Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. It is great to have you with us. In-depth reaction to, analysis of, and even some scheduled fun with this Washington win at Carolina. We'll begin next segment with the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the game. I have plenty of thoughts on the game beyond those in the front five as well. You will hear all of the key audio from Ron Rivera's and Taylor Heineke's postgame press conferences, including Ron on whether this season's Washington football team is reminding him of last season's Washington football team. Hmm, something to ponder. Uh, also on the show, I will talk Capitals, a mixed weekend for them, a 4 nothing win at the San Jose Sharks on Saturday night, but then a 5-2 loss at the Seattle Kraken. Release the Kraken on Sunday night. I'll talk Wizards. What a win for them on Saturday night. Wiz overcame a 10-point deficit with less than five minutes left in the fourth quarter to beat the Miami Heat, 103-100 at Capital One Arena. I will recap college football week 12 for the big four teams of the region. Maryland, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Navy. Uh, Here's the recap. They all lost. Uh, no, actually, there's a lot more to get into than just that, but uh, that is the gist of it. They did all lose. Uh, and I'll talk Maryland and Georgetown basketball. Both the Terrapins and the Hoyas played on Friday evening. They both won, although the number 20 Terps got quite the scare. Uh, well, being that everyone is in a good mood, now's a good time to offer a friendly request if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcast, to please, pretty please, give this podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that, and to please write a one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. I probably would have done this even if the Washington football team had lost to Carolina, but you get the idea. I'm trying to capitalize on everyone being happy right now. It's so rare that we're all happy. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on Washington's big win at the Panthers. Email from Taylor Haneke, super fan, Dr. Sabah. Uh, writes Dr. Sabah, Al, I just finished watching the most amazing football game. And of course, who did I think about? You. Taylor Haneke was just amazing versus the Panthers. His passes were not noodle arm throws. They were soft touch darts. Three touchdown passes, no interceptions, quarterback rating of 141.3. I still got tweets from people saying he's not a starting quarterback because he throws off his back foot and he has no arm strength. What are these people watching? Taylor was the number one reason we won this game. He now has beaten two MVP quarterbacks in back-to-back weeks. As Tom Brady says, the four qualities you need to be a long-term starting quarterback in the NFL are the abilities to think, throw, lead, and learn. Taylor has all four of these, and he can run, and has the clutch gene. Why is there so much pushback against Taylor Heineke, as you call them, the taters? I can't wait to hear your podcast. Well, thank you, Sabah. Hopefully, you're listening right now. Uh, Email from Ryan on Taylor Heineke. Subject line, tough week for the taters. I love that I have injected the word taters into the bloodstream of Washington football team nation. Writes Ryan, I assume this performance doesn't count. 
Antonio Gibson fumbled in the red zone. Terry McLaurin had a great game overall, but seemed to stutter and mistime his jump on the early deep ball. Granted, Taylor missed Terry in the end zone late in the game, but otherwise, Taylor made throws. He made plays with his legs. The fourth down scramble slash throw to Bates was both lucky and amazing. We gained yards. We scored points. We won. What am I missing? Like many, I'm not ready to crown him just yet. But this week is undeniably a point in his favor. Looking forward to hearing why this doesn't count from the Taters. Yes, the Taters. Oh, are they having a hard time right now? I promise you that. If you know a Tater, uh, please give that person a pat on the back and some warm cocoa, okay? Because chances are that person's tummy, uh, that person's tum-tum probably hurts right now. Email from Brian in Southwest D.C. on another Washington, D.C. team. That had a good weekend. Writes Brian, Al, I know soccer is not your forte, and this is probably not on your radar for all things DC sports, but the Washington Spirit won its first NWSL title. Beyond winning the top trophy for professional women's soccer in North America, the resiliency through all of the -the off-the-field dysfunction, both team and league, should be an example to the WFT. I hope the Spirit gets a mention. Brian, the Washington spirit does get a mention. Congratulations to the Washington spirit. Uh, What has gone on with the spirit and the NWSL has been a joke. And to see the spirit do as it did was great. I've wondered, man, as messed up as things have been with the Washington football team, could it be that things are even more messed up with the Washington spirit and the NWSL. But no, I'm not exactly locked in on women's professional soccer. That is not my forte. That is not my Joseph forte. That is true, but that does not mean that I do not respect women's professional soccer, and I certainly respect what the Washington spirit has achieved. So again, congratulations. Things are going well for a bunch of our teams right now. The Washington football team, the Capitals, the Wizards, the Spirit. We always hope that things are going well in your life, but we know that it's not always the case that things are going well in your life. Bad things happen, and a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged is Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people, smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. We have a saying on this podcast regarding Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. 
You can call Polson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, no time to waste. Time now for the front five. The front five is so much more enjoyable off Washington football team wins, and we have another win to sink our teeth into right now. The front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team improving to four and six with this 27-21 win at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, Taylor Heineke for a second consecutive game was great against a very good defense. My deepest condolences to all of the Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the Tay-Tay haters, the Taters, because these last few weeks have been brutal for you. I know, it hurts. It must hurt to see him do so well over these last two games. But Taylor Heineke for a second consecutive game was great against a very good defense. So it was in week 10, during which the Washington football team beat the reigning defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field. Taylor Heineke outplayed Tom Brady. That is not a hot take. That is an accurate depiction of what happened in NFL week number 10. And Heineke did this despite facing a Buccaneers defense that through week nine had been number 10 in the NFL in past defense per football outsiders DVOA metric. The Bucs defense quantifiably had been a top 10 pass defense in the NFL. Well, the Panthers' pass defense per DVOA through Week 10 was number two in the NFL, and Heineke did extremely well again. Taylor Heineke, in this win at the Panthers, threw for 206 yards on 22 pass attempts. That works out to an outstanding yards per pass attempt of 9.36. Taylor Heineke, in this win at the Panthers, completed 16 of his 22 pass attempts, that works out to an outstanding completion percentage of 72.7. Taylor Heineke, in this win at the Panthers, had three touchdown passes versus no interceptions. Taylor Heineke, in this win at the Panthers, had three key runs. Taylor Heineke, in this win at the Panthers, quarterback to Washington offense that went 6 of 13 on third downs and 2 of 2 on fourth downs. And Heineke did all of this despite facing this very good Panthers pass defense, despite Washington during the game being down to its third string center in Keith Ismail and second string right tackle in Cornelius Lucas, despite Washington being without its top two tight ends in Logan Thomas and Ricky Seals-Jones. You see, Taylor Heineke has had excuses over these last few games to not do so well, and yet he has done so well. He was not very good during Washington's four-game losing streak. That's true, but he's been a lot better over these last two games, again, against two very good pass defenses. What stood out from Taylor Heineke in this win at the Panthers? Uh, Let's start with Washington's eighth offensive drive. A 12-play, 58-yard drive resulted in Joey Sly's fourth-quarter 36-yard field goal for a 24-21 Washington lead. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second-and-eight, eight-yard shotgun play-action scramble or run on which he drew a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty from safety Justin Burris. Now, 
It's hard to say whether this was a design run or a scramble. Whatever it was, it was effective. It was for first down. And how about the moxie? How about the chutzpah on Heineke? He draws this 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty from Justin Burris and then gets right in Burris's face. How great was that to see Heineke playing with some sass. Heineke playing with some attitude in this game. Uh, fifth snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a third and 21-18 yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. The sixth snap of the drive. One of the plays of the game. Maybe the play of the game. It's certainly up there in terms of the nominees. On a fourth and three at the Panthers 43, Taylor Heineke had a six-yard shotgun completion to John Bates on a broken play as Heineke did a masterful job of running to his left and then making the completion of putting on the brakes with linebacker Jermaine Carter Jr. and edge rusher Brian Burns coming right at Heineke. I don't know about you, but this reminded me of one of the great plays from Robert Griffin III's all-time 2012 rookie season. This play happened in what was a loss. This was a 27-23 loss at the New York Giants in Week 7 of that 2012 regular season. But Robert in that game had a fourth down completion to a tight end in Logan Paulson that was not unlike this fourth down completion that Taylor Heineke had to John Bates on Sunday afternoon. Robert in this game, deep into the fourth quarter on a fourth and 10 at the Washington 23, had an incredible 19-yard completion to Logan Paulson on a broken play that, again, looked a lot like this play from Heineke to Bates. That was some job by Taylor Heineke, evading the rush, getting off the throw, and making the completion. Just a spectacular job. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on this play by Taylor Heineke. Oh, that, yeah, that scared the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's him. He, he's, he's got the ability. He sees things. Um, and and, and it's, it, he's got a very innate sense to him about, about certain plays like that. Yes, he does. Continuing on this drive that resulted in the Joey Sly fourth quarter 36-yard field goal. Seventh snap of the drive on a first and 10 at the Panthers 37. We had a dangerous play. Taylor Heineke charged with a fumble off a botched under center exchange. Eighth snap of the drive, though. Taylor Heineke, a second and 12, 14-yard shotgun read option run. Eleventh snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke was off on a third and seven shotgun incompletion to an open Terry McLaurin in the end zone as Heineke threw off his back foot. That is still a bit of a thing for Heineke. He'll throw off his back foot. He'll throw while falling backward. You'd like to see him correct that. Step more into his throws. I think that's part of why he's inaccurate on some throws. But still, what a job by Heineke on this drive, especially on the fourth and three completion to John Bates for six yards. The drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's first touchdown pass of the game. Washington's third offensive drive, a seven-play, 66-yard drive, resulted in Taylor Heineke's early second quarter, second and five, six-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to Cam Sims. How about this throw by Heineke? A great tight window throw. Heineke firing the football between two Panthers defenders and linebacker Jermaine Carter Jr. and corner C.J. Henderson. Third snap of the drive, the final snap of the first quarter. Taylor Heineke, a third and nine, 39-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin, who made a really nice leaping catch near the left sideline. The drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's second touchdown pass of the game. Washington's fifth offensive drive, a 12-play, 71-yard drive, resulted in Taylor Heineke's first and 10, 12-yard shotgun touchdown pass 
to Terry McLaurin with nine seconds left in the second quarter. Fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, five-yard shotgun play action completion to Dax Milne, who made a nice diving catch off Heineke, having made a sidearm throw with pressure in his face from safety Jeremy Chin. Ninth snap of the drive on a fourth and five at the Panthers' 43. Taylor Heineke, a fourth and five, 18-yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter, who was wide open across the middle. So another big fourth down conversion right there. Tenth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke did throw too high in throwing while backpedaling on a first and 10 shotgunning completion intended for J.D. McKissick. But then on the 12th snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown, Taylor Heineke, a third and nine, 12-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on what compelled him to go forward on that fourth and five at the Panthers 43 that resulted in that Heineke 18-yard completion to Carter. I really like the way that uh, Taylor's seeing certain things, and Scotty had a play that he had a lot of confidence in, and so we went with it. And, you know, it's also based on where we were. Uh, I wanted to have the momentum going in to the uh, locker room as opposed to not, and then coming out and scoring right away really gave us an opportunity. Yes, it did, as Washington pulled off the double whammy for what felt like the first time in forever. The double whammy, something I talked about recently on the podcast. That's when you score a touchdown late in a first half and then score a touchdown on the first offensive drive of the second half. It has felt like Washington never does that. Washington did that in this game because the drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's third touchdown pass of the game was Washington's sixth offensive drive in the opening drive of the second half. A 10-play, 66-yard drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter, third and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. We almost had another big completion on this drive. Third snap of the drive, Terry McLaurin failed to make a leaping catch of a more-than-catchable 50-50 ball from Taylor Heineke on a first and 10 under center play action deep in completion. But the fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a third and five, 13 yard shotgun completion to Cam Sims. Uh, Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's first quarter loss fumble. First snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 30 yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin on a perfect pass. Taylor Heineke was so accurate in this game. I tweeted this shortly after the game. Taylor Heineke now over his last two games, each of which has been against a very good defense, 42 of 54. That works out to a completion percentage of 77.8. 462 passing yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of 8.56. Four touchdown passes versus no interceptions. And he has led a Washington offense that has gone 17 of 32 on third downs and 4 of 4 on fourth downs. Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference on Sunday on why Taylor Heineke has been so good over these last two games. I think the biggest thing he's doing is, is, is he's starting to see things. He's starting to see what he needs to see. He's, you know, he's throwing the windows that he needs to throw, um, you know, and, and, you know, we're getting healthy up front now. We got a couple of Nick guys. We got to get those guys back out on the football field. But you know, that I think is all part of it as well. Now, Ron did have a nit to pick with Heineke. Uh, here was that during Ron's postgame presser. We were patient. Taylor was patient. You know, a couple times too patient. I'd like to just see him throw it away instead of take a sack. But he played a good football game. He really did. Yeah, Heineke did take three sacks, but still, to me, you can't be anything but really impressed 
with Taylor Heineke over these last two games. The guy deserves a lot of credit, and that's why, for me, the open mind remains on what Taylor Heineke can be. Oh, there's no way. He could ever be a franchise quarterback. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not certain about anything. If you're so certain about what he can and can't be, good for you. Jolly for you. (laughs) But for me, uh, I want to see more. To me, the only thing that's for sure in terms of what Taylor Heineke can and cannot be as an NFL quarterback is that nothing's for sure. Well, if you own or run a business, you for sure want to grow that business. The best way to do that is by putting ImageWorks to work for you. Do you want to reel in new customers for your business? Do you want to spread awareness of your business? Do you want to set up a website for your business but don't know where to start? Then put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. ImageWorks is located in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, but serves the entire country. So if you're listening in, say, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, even California, ImageWorks can help you. For more than two decades, ImageWorks has stood for creating great brands and providing custom marketing solutions. But ImageWorks is more than a branding and marketing firm. ImageWorks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. ImageWorks clients range from startups and small and mid-sized businesses to global enterprises and government contractors. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you by calling 703-378-0000 or by going to imageworkscreative.com and clicking on contact near the upper right corner. When you call or contact, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703-378-0000 or go to imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. We roll along. The front five, my five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team improving to four and six with a 27-21 win at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense was very good for a second straight game, despite being without Montez Sweat for both games and despite being without Chase Young for most of the two games. I tweeted this shortly after the win at the Panthers. It says a lot about a lot that Washington's two best defensive games of the season by far have been these two games without Montez Sweat and mostly without Chase Young. Is Washington better off without those guys? No, but defense is about a lot more than just individual talent. You know, the cliche of the whole being greater than the sum of the parts often applies to defensive units and offensive units in football. And I think we may well be seeing that with this Washington defense right now. Like, if you added up all of the individual talent on Washington's defense right now without Chase Young and Montez Sweat, yes, the cumulative total of talent, however you want to quantify that, would be less than the cumulative total of talent prior to Chase Young and Montez Sweat going on the reserve injured list. But defense isn't as simple as just adding up all of the talent on the unit. 
And Washington's defense, I mean, this is undeniable, has been at its best this season over these last two games. Now, is that saying a ton given how bad Washington's defense was over the first eight games of Washington's season? No, but it says a lot to me that this is the case. Do not ignore this reality. Do not dismiss this reality. Washington's two best defensive games of the season by far have been these two games without arguably Washington's two best or at the very least two most talented defensive players in Chase Young and Montez Sweat. That is a stunning statement, and yet it's true, and I don't even think it's debatable. Washington's defense in this win at the Panthers was good for a second consecutive game of never having been better than mediocre in any of Washington's first eight games of this season. So on Sunday afternoon, Washington held the Panthers to just 21 points, which these days in the NFL is a terrific point total to hold a team to. Now, a big part of this was Washington winning the time of possession battle substantially. Washington won time of possession by 11 minutes, 46 seconds. But Washington held the Panthers to just two and nine on third downs and to just one of three on fourth downs. Washington's defense came through big time on the Panthers' final two offensive drives. The Panthers' ninth offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter turnover on downs with Washington nursing a 24-21 lead. The first snap of the drive, James Smith-Williams drew a first and 10 10-yard holding penalty on Panthers right tackle Taylor Moten. So right there, one of the substitutes for Chase Young and Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams. Or is it James Williams-Smith? I don't know. Whatever that guy's name is, he draws a big-time penalty, a first and 10, 10-yard holding penalty on Taylor Moten. Four snap of the drive on a third and seven for the Panthers at their 28. Jonathan Allen, the human wrecking machine, plowed through Panthers left guard Michael Jordan and took him down into Cam Newton for a quarterback hit. And Cole Holcomb made a great tackle on running back Christian McCaffrey on a Cam four-yard shotgun completion to McCaffrey. That was a big play right there. Again, Allen, it's not just that he hit Cam, it's that he drove the left guard Michael Jordan down to the ground and then hit Cam while doing that. And then Holcomb made the big tackle on McCaffrey for the mere four-yard reception on third and seven. And then on the next snap of the drive, the fifth snap of the drive, fourth and three for the Panthers at their 32. Cameron Curl tackled running back Christian McCaffrey on a Cam Newton two-yard shotgun completion to McCaffrey. Then the Panthers' 10th offensive drive. This resulted in a late fourth quarter turnover on downs. Third snap of the drive, Deron Payne with his right hand had a quarterback hit on Cam Newton on a first and 10 shotgun incompletion on an attempted shovel pass to receiver Robbie Anderson. Fourth snap of the drive, Casey Tuhill came in unblocked for a quarterback hit on Cam Newton on a second and 10, seven-yard shotgun completion to tight end Ian Thomas. Fifth snap of the drive, William Jackson III, a big pass defense on a Cam Newton third and three shotgun incompletion intended for receiver Brandon Zilstra. And then the sixth snap of the drive on a fourth and three for the Panthers at the Washington 49, Deron Payne and James Smith-Williams. Or is it James Williams-Smith? I don't know. Whatever his name is, combined for a sack of Cam Newton for a three-yard loss and the turnover on downs as Washington got home via a four-man rush. One of the best ways to me to judge pass rush is by this simple phrase, fourth quarter pass rush. Does your pass rush come through in the big spot, in the clutch, In the fourth quarter of a close game, do you harass the passer? Do you hit the passer? Do you sack the passer? Washington on this drive, Deron Payne, quarterback hit. Casey Tuhill, quarterback hit. 
Payne and James Smith-Williams combining on a sack of Cam Newton on the final play of the drive. That, to me, is fourth quarter pass rush. That, to me, is a pass rush that delivers. You know, Washington only had one sack in this game, but that doesn't always tell the entire story, as I think most of you listening know by now. This pass rush was legit when the pass rush needed to be in this game. And specific to Cam Newton, Washington, here it was, right? Facing Cam Newton, his second game back with the Panthers and signing back with them on November 11th. Washington held Cam to pretty respectable totals. Now, it's not like Cam did nothing in this game. I'll get to that momentarily. But Washington held Cam to just 189 yards on 27 pass attempts. That works out to just seven yards per pass attempt. Now, look, Washington did allow Cam to complete 21 of his 27 pass attempts. That's good for a completion percentage of 77.8. Washington did allow Cam to have two touchdown passes versus no interceptions. And Cam was impactful as a runner. In fact, the Panthers ran the ball pretty well in this game. Washington allowed Cam Newton and Panthers running backs, Christian McCaffrey and Amir Abdullah to combine for 21 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown. That's 5.29 yards per carry. I'll tell you something else with the defense. Washington's defense committed three 15-yard personal foul penalties. That wasn't good. So this was not a perfect performance by Washington's defense, but this was an overall good performance to me. Uh, The three bad drives for Washington's defense in the game. You had the Panthers' first offensive drive, the opening drive of the game, yet another woeful defensive performance by Washington on an opponent's first offensive drive in the game. Panthers went nine plays, 75 yards. Cam Newton, first quarter, first and goal, 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver DJ Moore, the Maryland product. Uh, He beat William Jackson the third. Second snap of the drive, William Jackson the third failed to bring down running back Christian McCaffrey, and Jamin Davis over-pursued McCaffrey on a Cam Newton second and two, eight-yard shotgun completion to McCaffrey. Sixth snap of the drive, Cole Holcomb committed a 15-yard horse-collar tackle penalty on a fourth and one 15-yard under-center toss run by running back Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Panthers' fifth offensive drive, five plays, 70 yards, resulted in Cam Newton's second quarter, first and 10, 24-yard shotgun read option. Touchdown run, Third snap of the drive, Cam Newton second and 11, 19-yard shotgun completion to tight end Tommy Tremble. Fifth snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown, Cameron Curl, a 15-yard face mask penalty on a second and three, six-yard shotgun handoff run by running back Christian McCaffrey. And then the Panthers' eighth offensive drive, seven plays, 91 yards, resulted in Cam Newton's fourth quarter, first and 10, 27-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to running back Christian McCaffrey, who blew by Landon Collins and then got by Cole Holcomb. Uh, Four snap of the drive, Deron Payne, a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty on a Cam Newton first and 10, 10-yard shotgun completion to receiver DJ Moore. So there were some bad moments for Washington's defense, but in the NFL in 2021, you're going to have that. Like, the days of just a defense completely shutting down an opposing offense, I mean, if you could do that, great, but that's not really the way that the NFL works anymore. And so to me, this was a more than acceptable performance by Washington's defense. I liked the majority of what we saw. Again, not a perfect defensive performance, but Washington's defense right now anyway seems to be in a much better place as compared to where the defense was in September and October. Takeaway number three, Terry McLaurin was tremendous. You know, I get a kick out of people who still say that Terry McLaurin is not a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Really? Based on what exactly? The guy has had every excuse not to have produced 
over his first three NFL seasons, and yet all he has done is produce, and he produced in a major way in this win at the Panthers. You know what looks like even more of a piece of trash right now? That dopey NFL Top 100 on NFL Network over the summer. Terry McLaurin did not make the NFL Top 100, but Cole Beasley did at number 96, and Corey Davis did at number 91. I mean, what what a joke that list was. And that list was voted on by NFL players, which tells you how much they know. Anyway, McLaurin is outstanding. He and this win at the Panthers had five receptions for 103 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. So many big plays. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's early second quarter, second and five, six-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Cam Sims. Third snap of the drive, the final snap of the first quarter. Taylor Heineke, a third and nine, 39-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin, who made a terrific leaping catch near the left sideline. Washington's fifth offensive drive, 12 plays, 71 yards, resulted in Terry McLaurin's touchdown catch. That Taylor Heineke first and 10, 12-yard shotgun touchdown pass to McLaurin with nine seconds left in the second quarter. McLaurin made the leaping catch despite a pass interference penalty by safety Jeremy Chin that was declined. Uh, you had Washington's second offensive drive did result in Antonio Gibson's first quarter loss fumble, but the first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 30-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin on a really good pass by Heineke. Uh, McLaurin's game actually could have been even better. Uh, Washington's sixth offensive drive, opening drive of the second half resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter, third and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. Third snap of the drive, Terry McLaurin did fail to make a leaping catch of what was a catchable 50-50 ball from Taylor Heineke on a first and 10 under center play action, deep in completion. But look, Terry McLaurin's not going to catch everything, okay? Like he's entitled to the occasional, if not drop, then, you know, play that maybe could have been made, but wasn't easy to make and ended up not being made by McLaurin. Here was Taylor Heineke during his postgame press conference on two of his biggest completions to Terry McLaurin. Yeah, so the one down the sideline in the first half, it was one of those um, no cadence deals. We kind of want to catch him off guard. And so Tyler just comes up, very lackadaisical, and and just snaps the ball, try to get those guys kind of off guard. And, um, you know, you see Terry one-on-one. You know, I've sent it, you know, numerous times. When you see him one-on-one, you give him a shot. And it's it's because of the catch he got today. Um, You know, he continues to make plays, and you just want to keep giving him shots. And then uh, what other play were you talking about? The touchdown. The touchdown. Oh yeah, um, you know that play wasn't really supposed to go to him. Um, he was kind of a decoy guy, and it was supposed to go to the next guy. Um, but he he crossed that safety's face, and he was open, so gave him a shot. And again, he just continues to make plays, and uh, very happy he's on our team. Yes, so are we. Terry McLaurin now this season over ten games has fifty four receptions for seven hundred thirty five yards and five touchdowns on 91 targets. Takeaway number four, Washington's running game had a second consecutive productive game, despite Antonio Gibson having about as strange of a game as you'll ever see a running back have. So Washington dominated the time of possession battle in this game for a second consecutive game. The running game had a lot to do with that. Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jarrett Patterson combined for 33 carries for 100 64 yards. That works out to 4.97 yards per carry. That's superb. But how about the game for Antonio Gibson? He had another fumble. He was great after the fumble, and he then committed another major mistake. What a strange game 
for Antonio Gibson. He finished with 19 carries for 95 yards. That's really good. But he had the lost fumble. He also had another major boo-boo. And he was not targeted in the passing game. So Antonio Gibson, boo-boo, number one, uh, was the lost fumble. Washington's second offensive drive, the sixth snap of the drive on a first quarter, second and eight at the Panthers' 13. Antonio Gibson, a lost fumble on a shotgun handoff run for minus two yards. The ensuing Panthers' offensive drive did result in a punt, but Gibson ended up getting benched for a while after this lost fumble. He now has five fumbles in 10 games this season. He has a fumbling problem. I don't know how else to say it. The guy cannot be trusted right now in terms of holding on to the football. But the thing is, he is productive on a good number of runs. He was productive on this drive that resulted in his lost fumble. The fourth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a second and three, 10-yard shotgun handoff run. Antonio Gibson, boo-boo, number two. Uh, Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's late fourth quarter 29-yard field goal for a 27-21 Washington lead. The fifth snap of the drive, the first snap after the second half two-minute warning, and the snap right before the field goal on a third and 10 at the Panthers 18, with the Panthers out of second half timeouts and Washington nursing a three-point lead at 24-21. Antonio Gibson got tackled out of bounds on a seven-yard under center handoff run, essentially giving the Panthers an extra timeout. Yes, that was a seven-yard run, but the worst thing you could do in that spot, beyond fumbling again, would be to get tackled out of bounds, and that's precisely what ended up happening with Gibson. More on that play from Ron Rivera coming up shortly. But Antonio Gibson had some big runs in this game. He had a number of big runs on Washington's sixth offensive drive, the opening drive of the second half, 10 plays 66 yards resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter, third and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. The second snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and three, four-yard under center handoff run. The fourth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and 10, five-yard shotgun handoff run. The sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 11-yard under center handoff run. The seventh snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 20-yard under center handoff run, giving Washington a first and goal at the six. So there were things about this game regarding Antonio Gibson that you despised, but there were things about this game regarding Antonio Gibson that you loved. Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Antonio Gibson's game, starting with him being tackled out of bounds on that late fourth quarter third down run. Well, he got freaking horse called around the neck and thrown out of bounds. Um, but he, uh, he, he bounced back, and, and that's what you want. You want that resilience, and, and he's, he, he's a young man that's just going to get better and better the more he develops and grows. You know, I wish he hadn't fumbled because it would have been a very good day for him. He had a good day, though. He really did, and he's, he's an exciting young man to watch. Yes, and remember, Antonio Gibson is dealing with that ailing shin. That, to me, needs to be kept in mind when talking about whatever it is that Gibson does this season. So we had Antonio Gibson's bizarro game in this win at the Panthers. We had J.D. McKissick being productive again in the win at the Panthers. J.D. McKissick, seven carries for 46 yards, one reception for four yards on two targets. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's early second quarter, second and five, six-yard shotgun play action, touchdown pass to Cam Sims, the fifth snap of the drive, the second snap of the second quarter. J.D. McKissick, a second and 10 15-yard under center handoff run on which he slid through a tiny crease off to the left 
Uh, Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's first and 10 12-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin with nine seconds left in the second quarter. First snap of the drive, J.D. McKissick, a first and 10, 11-yard under center handoff run. Third snap of the drive, J.D. McKissick, a second and nine, eight-yard under center handoff run. Fourth snap of the drive, J.D. McKissick, a third and one, three-yard shotgun handoff run. This was a drive on which Antonio Gibson was benched, and J.D. McKissick uh, was utilized as the number one ball carrier for Washington, and McKissick looked really good. I tell you, J.D. McKissick is such a likable player. Like It feels like all the guy does is produce. You know, he runs hard. He runs effectively. He's the best pass catching running back on Washington. He's the best pass protecting running back on Washington. Can't say enough about how good J.D. McKissick has been over his two seasons with the team. Jared Patterson got some run in this game, and he looked pretty good. Had seven carries for 23 yards, was not targeted in the passing game. Washington's third offensive drive, the one that gave us the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to Cam Sims. Six snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown on a first and 10 at the Panthers. 11, Jared Patterson, a five-yard shotgun handoff run. Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's late fourth quarter 29-yard field goal for a 27-21 Washington lead. The second snap of that drive, Jared Patterson, a first and five 11-yard shotgun handoff run that forced the Panthers to burn their second second half timeout. And takeaway number five, this was a coaching staff win in multiple ways for Washington. So this was a win for the staff in the obvious way of the revenge of Ron being exacted. Uh, The Ron Rivera head coached Washington football team winning at the Carolina Panthers, who in December 2019 fired Ron as head coach off, ironically enough, a home loss to Washington. But of course, Ron wasn't the only former Panthers coach coaching for Washington. Offensive coordinator Scott Turner used to coach for the Panthers. Offensive line coach John Matsko coached for the Panthers for years. Tight ends coach Pete Hayner coached for the Panthers for years. Many others used to work for the Panthers. And these guys in particular deserve credit. Ron Rivera, Scott Turner, John Matsko, and Pete Hayner. Washington overcame a lot to win this game. Washington's offensive line, let's begin with that, that became a mess in this game. So the starting offensive line from left to right was Charles Leno Jr., Eric Flowers, Tyler Larson, Brandon Sheriff, and Samuel Cosme. Yes, Samuel Cosme was back. He returned off having missed the previous four games due to an ankle injury that was suffered in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. Although, remember, Cosme was available in an emergency situation for the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10, but did not play in that game. So Cosme was back, and what happened? He got hurt. He suffered a hip injury in the second quarter, bringing Cornelius Lucas into the game to play right tackle. Then there was Washington's situation at center. The situation at center got really dicey. So, of course, you have Chase Roulier on the reserve injured list, was put on that on November 2nd due to him having suffered a fractured left fibula and potentially ligament damage to his left ankle in the loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8. Tyler Larson became Washington's starting center, but he suffered a knee injury in the second quarter. That brought in Wes Schweitzer to play center for Washington. But Schweitzer was dealing with some sort of a right ankle issue, bringing Keith Ismail into the game to play center for Washington. So you had all kinds of things going on with Washington's offensive line. You had some penalties with the offensive line in this game as well. The drive that gave us the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin with nine seconds left in the second quarter, the eighth snap of the drive. But Wes Schweitzer, who again had come into the game to play center for the injured Tyler Larson, committed a fourth and one 
four-yard false start penalty. You also had on Washington's seventh offensive drive, which resulted in a punt on the first snap of the fourth quarter, Brandon Sheriff on the fourth snap of the drive, committing a second and one five-yard false start penalty. Also, the situation at tight end. Washington was down to its third and fourth string tight ends in this game, right? Logan Thomas on the reserve injured list. He's been on that since October 6th due to a hamstring injury that was suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. Ricky Seals-Jones was inactive on Sunday due to a hip injury that he dealt with in the win over the Bucs. And so Washington's tight ends for this game were John Bates, Samus Reyes, and Tameric Hemingway, who Washington on Saturday elevated from the practice squad. Washington had just signed Hemingway to the practice squad last Tuesday. Now, yes, Hemingway had been with Washington before, but that's not the point. So you were down a lot with your offensive line. You were down a lot at tight end, and yet you found a way to win this game. Give Scott Turner, John Matsko, and Pete Hainer a lot of credit. You know, with John Bates serving as Washington's TE1 in this game, I thought Bates did a nice job. Three receptions, 23 yards on three targets. He had that huge fourth down reception in the game. The drive that gave us the Joey Sly fourth quarter 36-yard field goal for a 24-21 Washington lead. The sixth snap of the drive, fourth and three at the Panthers 43. Taylor Heineke with that miracle six-yard shotgun completion to John Bates on a broken play. Here was Heineke during his post-game press conference on that play and on Bates. Quite honestly, I forgot the play call right now. Um, but I just remember it breaking down and no one was open and I was just trying to make something happen. And it's one of those deals, obviously, you can't go down or throw the ball away. you got to have it. And I thought John Bates had maybe the play of the day, come, coming back and kind of catching a difficult ball. Um, it, and, you know, he stepped up big today uh, with Logan being out, with, with Ricky being out. Um, he played a really good game today. So, um, you, know, you know, kudos to him. Yes, indeed. And kudos to Washington's coaching staff, which did a really nice job in this game. So there you go. The front five, always more enjoyable off a Washington win. The front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team improving to four and six with this 27-21 win at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, Taylor Heineke for a second consecutive game was great against a very good defense. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense was very good For a second straight game, despite being without Montez Sweat for both games and despite being without Chase Young for most of the two games. Takeaway number three, Terry McLaurin was tremendous. Takeaway number four, Washington's running game had a second straight productive game despite Antonio Gibson having about as strange of a game as you'll ever see a running back have. And takeaway number five, this was a coaching staff win in multiple ways for Washington. Up next, much more on the Washington football team off the big win, including what Ron Rivera said during his postgame press conference about whether this season's Washington team now is reminding him of last season's Washington team. I'll get to that and much more after this. Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Well, the Washington football team has won two consecutive games. Still plenty of time left in this Washington football team season to attend a game. And there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees 
that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. Whether you want to attend the Monday Nighter against the Seahawks on November 29th, or want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders on December 5th, or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Washington football team has won two consecutive games, has gone from 2-6 and six to 4-6, and six, a 27-21 win at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. This is a special Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast, although still to come is plenty of conversation on non-Washington football team D.C. sports items from the weekend. Next up for the Washington football team, home to the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football on November 29th. And how about what's going on with the Seahawks? They're now 3-7. and seven. Yes, Washington has a better record than Seattle has. The Seahawks fell to 3-7 and seven with a 23-13 home loss to the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday as Colt McCoy, yes, former Washington quarterback Colt McCoy, came through big time in this win over the Hawks. Colt McCoy has been starting at quarterback for the Cardinals in place of the injured Kyler Murray. Colt's done a pretty good job, as we know he can, and Colt in this game, how about these numbers? 35 of 44 for 328 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took just two sacks. He had six carries for 18 yards. Now, he was charged officially with three fumbles, but not a single one of them was a lost fumble. And Colt outplayed Russell Wilson in this game. Russell, just 14 of 26 for 207 yards, no touchdowns, 
no interceptions. He got sacked four times. He had just two carries for two yards, and he himself had two fumbles in the game, although neither one was a lost fumble. So maybe, just maybe, Washington will be catching the Seahawks at the right time. I know this will be a home Monday night game, which is basically a death sentence for Washington teams in the Dan Snyder era, but still, uh, things are starting to feel a little different with this Washington football team season. I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves. I don't want to get too giddy off something like this. Washington is only four and six, okay? There's still a lot of ground that needs to be made up, but things look a lot better now as compared to how those things looked just a few weeks ago. I mean, this season looked like a lost cause not that long ago, right? This season felt like it was done on Halloween. And instead, here you have Washington now at four and six and at least making things interesting. You know, I said last week on the podcast that what Washington did in this game at the Panthers would be telling regarding what that win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10 was. Was that win a one-off or was that win the start of a turnaround to Washington's season? Well, the latter now may be the case. We'll see. We can't declare that yet, but we have gotten closer to being able to declare that. You know, we have more evidence of a turnaround perhaps happening. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on whether what he's now seeing from his team reminds him of what he saw from last season's Washington football team, which went from one and five to seven and nine to win the NFC East. It really does. It really does. Um, and, and it's it's them relying on one another. It's them, you know, not trying to make the big splash play. It's them staying where it's supposed to and doing their jobs. That, that, that's the thing that, you know, sometimes guys get a little carried away with themselves. They're, they're good as a group. They really are. And, and that's what we're seeing. You know, we don't have our two-edge guys right now. Um, and, and we're only going to get one of them back eventually. Yeah, talking, of course, about Montez Sweat, who was in the midst of a four- to six-week absence with a fractured jaw. Speaking of getting guys back, Washington did not get back Curtis Samuel for this win at the Panthers, but Washington perhaps will be getting Samuel back for the game against the Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Curtis Samuel on Sunday was inactive for a fifth consecutive game due to the groin injury from hell. Uh, Samuel last played in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. Samuel in that game played on just five of Washington's offensive snaps due to the groin. But we had this very early Sunday morning. A tweet from NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com. Quote, Washington WR, Curtis Samuel, who hasn't played since week five with a groin injury, has just a small chance to play today, source said. If he can't go today, he should play next week. End quote. You know, it's notable. Washington on Friday, when the final injury report for this game at the Panthers was put out, did not declare Curtis Samuel as being out. Now, no one really expected Samuel to play. There was a thought that maybe possibly he could play. But, you know, at this point, it's like, who the heck could have any kind of optimism with this guy? But it does feel like things are maybe trending in the direction of Samuel getting better. Now, look, once he plays, I mean, who knows how long he'll play for, right? And who knows if that groin will hold up? I mean, again, how can you have any confidence with this thing? 
But Curtis Samuel's official status for this game at the Panthers was questionable as opposed to out. He was inactive for the game, but that's not the point. And we did get that tweet from Rappaport early Sunday morning that Samuel may well be good to go for Washington's next game, which again is that home game against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. And so with Curtis Samuel remaining out, you had others leaned on in his place, including DeAndre Carter. And how about DeAndre Carter? Two receptions for 22 yards and a touchdown on three targets. Washington's sixth offensive drive, the opening drive of the second half, was a 10-play, 66-yard drive, resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter, third and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter for his third touchdown reception of the season. Washington signed Carter as an unrestricted free agent this past April 1st, did so off him having totaled zero touchdown receptions over 34 career regular season receptions. The signing of DeAndre Carter was simple. He's a return man, right? That was the thought process. And by the way, it wasn't even a given that he would make Washington's 53-man roster. He did end up making the roster, and he has ended up being much more than just a return man this season. Uh, Carter has himself three touchdown catches on the year. He, on his route on the touchdown catch, burned corner Dante Jackson. And DeAndre Carter also had another big catch in this game. Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's first and 10 12-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin with nine seconds left in the second quarter. The ninth snap of the drive on a fourth and five at the Panthers' 43. Taylor Heineke, an 18-yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter, who was wide open across the middle. So two catches for DeAndre Carter in this win at the Panthers, but one was a touchdown catch. The other was a fourth down catch for 18 yards. Not bad. Uh, Now, DeAndre Carter did have a fumble in this game, okay? So things could have been a lot worse for DeAndre in this game. He had a fumble on the kickoff that followed Cam Newton's second quarter, first and 10, 24-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. But who recovered the fumble? Yes, Trap. Real name, Troy Apke. The god of special teams made a play on special teams this season. He has been on Washington's active roster throughout the season. He has not played on a single defensive snap the entire season. At least that was the case going into this game on Sunday. I'm assuming that he didn't play on any defensive snaps in this game. The snap counts are not yet out as of the taping of this podcast late Sunday night slash early Monday morning. But Trap earned his keep, earned his spot on the 53-man roster by recovering that DeAndre Carter fumble on the kickoff return there in the second quarter. Uh, The ensuing Washington offensive drive did result in a touchdown, resulted in that Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. So good for Trap for making that play on special teams. But overall, DeAndre Carter's doing a good job. And, you know, Washington's free agent class from this past offseason, you can't say it's great because the top three free agent signings have all not worked out to varying degrees for various reasons. William Jackson III, Curtis Samuel, Ryan Fitzpatrick. But the second-tier signings do look pretty good. For a second consecutive offseason, it appears as if Washington did a good job with those second-tier free agents. You know, you think about the 2020 offseason. Ronald Darby, Logan Thomas, J.D. McKissick, Cornelius Lucas, Wes Schweitzer. Well, this past offseason... DeAndre Carter, Charles Leno Jr., Ricky Seals-Jones, Bobby McCain has come on. Ron Rivera is a big Bobby McCain fan, 
by the way. So at least the second tier free agent signings appear to be doing a nice job. Uh, While we're talking receiver here, Cam Sims, he had a touchdown catch on Sunday afternoon. Good to see that. Cam has not done a lot this season. Cam in this game, two receptions for 19 yards and a touchdown on two targets. His touchdown catch came at the end of a seven-play, 66-yard drive. Taylor Heineke, early second quarter, second and five, six-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Cam as Heineke made a very good tight window throw. Uh, Cam Sims also had a big third down catch in the game. The drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter, the fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and five, 13-yard shotgun completion to Cam Sims. Adam Humphreys had two more big catches in this game. Two receptions for 30 yards on two targets. The drive that gave us Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. The snap right before the touchdown. Taylor Heineke, third and nine, 12-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. And the drive that resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter, 36-yard field goal for a 24-21 Washington lead. The fifth snap of that drive. Taylor Heineke, a third and 21, 18-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. Uh, I mentioned Joey Sly, perfect on field goals in this game. Sly connected on a fourth quarter 36-yard field goal for a 24-21 Washington lead. Andy connected on a late fourth quarter 29-yard field goal for a 27-21 Washington lead. So two chip shots, but you know what? You don't count on anything with kickers in these parts this season. So Sly went 2-2 two two on his field goals. That was good. What was especially interesting, though, about Joey Sly's game was Ron Rivera opting to punt instead of having Joey Sly attempt a 56-yard field goal with Washington leading 21-14 late in the third quarter. Washington had a 4th and 11 at the Panthers' 38, and Washington in this spot, which was the final snap of the third quarter, took a 5-yard delay of game penalty to give Tressway more room with which to punt as opposed to having Joey Sly attempt the 56-yard field goal. Now, Way ended up having a 34-yard punt that was fair caught at the Panthers' nine on the first snap of the fourth quarter. The ensuing Panthers' offensive drive, though, resulted in a touchdown, resulted in Cam Newton's fourth quarter, first and 10, 27-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to running back Christian McCaffrey. The ensuing extra point tied the game at 21. But put aside for a moment what ended up happening on that next Panthers offensive drive. One of the reasons that Dustin Hopkins is no longer here, in theory anyway, is that Ron Rivera did not trust old D-Hop on field goal attempts of 50 or more yards. Well, Joey Sly this season is three of three on field goal attempts of 50 or more yards. Remember, Washington on November 9th in signing Joey Sly did so off him having kicked for two other teams this season. Joey Sly in September kicked for the Houston Texans for three games. Joey Sly in October kicked for the San Francisco 49ers for three games. And Joey Sly, over his six games prior to joining Washington this season, went three of three on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. Now, that's just this season. He, in the 2020 regular season, went just one of six on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. So maybe Ron had that in his mind. Although prior to that, Joey Sly went 8 of 11 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards in the 2019 regular season. So he's been a little up and down. 8 of 11 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards in the 2019 regular season. 1 of 6 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards in the 2020 regular season. And 3 of 3 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards in this 2021 regular season prior to joining Washington. But Ron, for whatever reason, did not have Joey Sly attempt 
that 56-yard field goal. I mean, all things being equal, I would have had Joey Sly attempt the kick. I I would not have played it as conservative as Ron did. Uh, Ron was not asked about this during his postgame press conference on Sunday. Hopefully, he will be asked about this during his day after the game press conference on Monday. But whatever the case, Washington won the game from 2-6 and six to 4-6. and six. No, nothing is set in stone. No, you can't plan any sort of flag of victory at this point. But the season is viable. The season has a pulse. And it's nice to be able to say that off where we were. All right, let's begin unpacking the rest of the D.C. Sports Weekend. I will be talking Wizards, college football, and college basketball, but we'll begin here with the Capitals. The Caps, late night on Sunday night, concluded an otherwise good trip out west with a rough loss. Uh, The Caps fell to 11-3-5 with a 5-2 loss at the expansion Seattle Kraken on Sunday night, but this was off a 4-0 win at the San Jose Sharks on Saturday night. The Caps in this four-game trip out west went 2-1-1. Not bad at all. If you're a Caps fan like me, you sign up for that in a heartbeat going into this trip, especially when you consider that the four games were played as two sets of back-to-back games, and when you consider that the Caps continue to deal with bad injury luck. Uh, So the Caps in this 4-0 win at the Sharks on Saturday night got back two key players. TJ Oshie returned from a 10-game absence that was caused by a lower body injury that was suffered in a 3-2 overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings at Capital One Arena on October 27th. Oshie on Saturday night in 14 minutes, 15 seconds of ice time, had a secondary assist in eight hits, did commit a first period interference penalty. Nick Dowd on Saturday night returned from a five-game absence that was caused by a lower body injury that was suffered in a 5-3 win over the Buffalo Sabres at Capital One Arena on November 8th. Now Dowd in a 5-4 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers on November 4th returned off having missed three of the previous four games due to a lower body injury. Dowd on Saturday night, 16 minutes, six seconds of ice time, had a primary assist when 8-11 and 11 on faceoff. So, okay, you got back Oshie, you got back Dowd, but then Oshie in this loss at the Kraken on Sunday night did not play due to a lower body injury that was suffered in the win at the Sharks. So Oshie in the win at the Sharks returned, but then suffered another lower body injury. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters late night on Sunday night said that Oshie in the win at the Sharks suffered a new injury. Unreal. Also, Connor Sheary in the loss at the Kraken on Sunday night did not play as he was dealing with an upper body injury that was suffered during warmups on Sunday night. This was off Sheary being really good in the win at the Sharks on Saturday night. He in that game had two goals, a first period even strength goal and a third period even strength goal. He also had a team high tying four shots on goal. And then you add on top of all of this, the other caps who remain out. Uh, Lars Eller now has missed four consecutive games due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Nicholas Backstrom has yet to play this season due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. And Anthony Mantha is out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And so it's no wonder that the Caps had a dud of a game on Sunday night. Vitek Vanacek was the Caps starting goaltender. He stopped just 26 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped eight of the 10 high-danger shots on goal that he faced and just six of the eight medium-danger shots on goal 
that he faced. The Caps went 0-4 on the power play and 0-1 on the penalty kill. The puck possession battle for the game ended up being about even, but really only because the Caps erupted in the third period. Caps lost the puck possession battle over the first two periods, but then woke up in the third period during which they had 23 shots on goal to the Kraken's eight, but the score entering the third period was 4-1, and the Caps and Kraken in the third period each scored a goal. A bright spot for the Caps on Sunday night was, who else, the great eight, Alex Ovechkin, and he also was a bright spot on Saturday night. Uh, Ovi in this 5-2 loss at the Kraken on Sunday night scored an even-strength goal, 309 into the third period, and had a game-high six shots on goal and a game-high 13-shot attempts. Ovi in the 4-0 win at the Sharks on Saturday night had two goals, and an assist. He had a first period power play goal, a third period even strength empty net goal, a secondary assist, and a team high tying four shots on goal. Also in that win at the Sharks on Saturday night was Ilya Samsonov pitching another shutout. Uh, Samsonov registered a shutout for a second consecutive game. You may recall Samsonov in a 2 nothing win at the Los Angeles Kings this past Wednesday night had a shutout. He stopped all 34 of the shots on goal that he faced. And then Samsonov went out there on Saturday night and had another shutout. He became the first Caps goaltender to record shutouts in back-to-back regular season games since Braden Holtby in January 2017 and became the first Caps goaltender with shutouts in back-to-back regular season games that were both on the road since the immortal Clint Malarchuk in February 19. 88. Uh, Samsonov in this shutout at the Sharks on Saturday night stopped all 22 of the shots on goal that he faced. He, per natural stat trick, stopped all seven of the high danger shots on goal that he faced. Caps are tied for third in the Eastern Conference standings at 27 points. Next up for the Caps, they will host the Montreal Canadiens Wednesday night at 7. We move now to the Wizards, who will play on Monday night. Wizards will host the Charlotte Hornets at 7. The Hornets will be entering the cauldron, the fire pit, uh, that is Capital One Arena. The Wizards now are 7-1 and one at Capital One Arena this season. Their latest home win came on Saturday night, and what a win that was. The Wizards improved to 11-5 with a 103-100 win over the Miami Heat. The Wizards overcame a 16-point third quarter deficit and overcame a 10-point deficit with less than five minutes left in the fourth quarter to defeat a Heat team that entered the game 11-5 and on the season. Now, before we go any further, I do have to note this. So Kyle Kuzma went 4-6 on free throws in the final minute of the fourth quarter. His two misses came on his two free throw attempts with six-tenths of a second left, and the Wizards nursing a 103-100 lead. Both of the misses were unintentional misses, but Wizards play-by-play announcer Justin Kutcher of NBC Sports Washington actually said that Kuzma should have intentionally missed the second free throw attempt. Uh, I'm still trying to understand that. If Kuzma makes the second free throw attempt, the Wizards are up 104-100 with six-tenths of a second left. That essentially clinches victory. Being up 103 100 with six tenths of a second left certainly puts you in good position to win the game, but doesn't guarantee you anything. And while you could say, well, if the basketball caroms off the back of the iron time will expire, maybe, possibly, but you can't be 100% certain of something like that. And sure enough, what happened? Kuzma unintentionally missed the second free throw attempt. The Heat got off a desperation three and the basketball nearly went in. Uh, That was a frightening conclusion 
to that game. The Heat's Bam Adebayo missed an 80-foot three-point attempt that, like I said, came close to going in. So that could have been a disastrous end to regulation for the Wizards, but it was not. The Wizards came through with the victory. A tremendous come-from-behind win for the Wiz, especially considering the absences. No Davi Spurtons for a ninth consecutive game due to a left ankle sprain. Wiz have been without Rui Hachimura for the entire season due to personal reasons. Wiz have been without Thomas Bryant for the entire season as he recovers from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered last January 9th. But how about that home record for the Wizards? 7-1. and one. The Wizards are 4-4 four four on the road, but 7-1 and one at home. You know, Capital One Arena for years has been known for being like a morgue in terms of Wizards regular season games, especially early season Wizards regular season games. Well, not so far this season. Capital One Arena has been alive for these Wizards games so far this season. Head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on his team's sparkling home record. I mean, some of it is our home court. I mean, the crowd has been terrific. It's, uh, you feel it. And in those moments, I think it helps drive our guys, gives them an extra boost. Um, I think most teams are probably better at home than on the road. But the fact that we are where we are, I think it bodes well for our comfort level here, but also our fans and the uh, uh, the atmosphere that, that that creates. So this win over the Heat on Saturday night for the Wizards was not a pretty win. Uh, the Wizards won despite committing 20 turnovers, but the Wizards defended the three exceptionally well and shot well, especially in the fourth quarter. The Wizards held the Heat to just 7 of 27 on threes, as again, the Wizards' three-point defense was excellent. No singular thing about the Wizards has improved more in terms of this season versus last season than their three-point defense. The Wizards, over 16 games this regular season, have allowed opponents to shoot just 30.9% on threes. The Wizards, last regular season, allowed opponents to shoot 36.9% on threes. That is a 6 percentage point improvement for the Wizards in terms of three-point percentage allowed. That is significant, six percentage points. West Sell Jr. during his post-game press conference on his team's three-point defense in this win over the Heat. Well, I mean, once again, the urgency. Um, it's a priority for us every night, but, you know, the volume of shooting they, ha- they can put out on the floor. You know, um, just having awareness, the urgency to get to those guys, run them off. Um, and then you know, we saw in the last possession, just keep coming. It's uh, when there are breakdowns, um, cover for each other, keep flying around and get a late contest at worst, but make sure we put those shooters under duress. So the Wizards defended the three well. The Wizards went 11 of 30 on threes and 25 of 44 on twos. The Wizards in a fourth quarter that they won 32-25 went five of nine on threes and held the heat to 0 of four. On threes. So the Wizards over the first three quarters went to six of 21 on threes, but the Wizards in the fourth quarter caught fire on threes. And that was all about two guys, Contavious Caldwell Pope and Spencer Dinwiddie. We begin with KCP. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope in that fourth quarter that the Wizards won 32 25, went three of three on threes and scored 10 points in just six minutes, 36 seconds of playing time. Uh, KCP for the game. Five of eight on threes, finished with 16 points and three rebounds in 27-27 as a starter. KCP, with the shot clock winding down, had a four-point play to cut the Wizards' deficit to six at 94-88 with 4.17 left in the fourth quarter as he dribbled to his left, connected on a 25-foot three from beyond the top of the arc, drew a foul, 
and made the free throw. KCP connected on a 26-foot contested right wing three to tie the game in 96 with 2.15 left in the fourth quarter. And then Spencer Dinwiddie, he in the fourth quarter that the Wizards won, 32-25, went 2-2 on threes and scored 10 points in 9 minutes, 12 seconds of playing time. He finished the game 4-7 on threes and with 16 points, 4 assists versus 1 turnover in 30-20 as a starter. Dinwiddie with the shot clock winding down, connected on a 26-foot pull-up contested three from just to the right of the top of the arc to cut the Wizards' deficit to three at 96-93 with 3.11 left in the fourth quarter. And Dinwiddie connected on a go-ahead 28-foot right wing three for a 99-96 Wizards lead with 1.43 left in the fourth quarter. West Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Dinwiddie coming through in the clutch. I mean, there's no words for it. I mean, it's, it's, those are game-winning plays. Um, the fact that he's got the the moxie and the comfort level to step up, not afraid of the moment. And thankfully we have several guys like that on this group that are okay in those big moments and they've produced. Yeah. Also coming through for the Wizards on Saturday night again was Montrez Harrell. Uh, Harrell in just 25-29 off the bench, 13 points on five of seven shooting, seven rebounds, including three offensive boards, three assists versus three turnovers, two steals, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 17. And the Wizards had this comeback win over the Heat on Saturday night, despite yet another underwhelming game for Bradley Beal this season. Beal went just 1-7 of on threes. He committed six turnovers and 36-55 as a starter. He went scoreless in the fourth quarter. Now, Beal did finish with 21 points, nine assists, and four rebounds, so it's not like he did nothing in the game, but the heroes of the game were Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Spencer Dinwiddie, not Beal. You know, Beal has not been great so far this season. He's shooting just 27.8% on threes. I get that his grandmother just passed away. That is true. We certainly send our condolences to Bradley Beal and the Beal family, but he was struggling on threes prior to his grandmother passing away. But here's the point. Bradley Beal has not been at his superstar best so far this season, and yet the Wizards are 11-5. and Well, we have one full week left in the college football regular season, and that's probably a good thing given what's going on with the top four teams in our region. Maryland, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Navy all lost this past Saturday, although Goldilocks won, uh, as in won you some money if you played all four games. Three and one on the day, 24 and 16 is the overall record on the season. Eight games above 500. And remember, I don't just cherry pick the games that I like. I make myself pick the games for these four teams, whether I love each game as a play or not. And yet, the mark is 24 and 16. We have a saying for that on this show. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, Snoop, exactly. Anyway, enough of me patting myself on the back. Let's get to what happened in what was college football week 12. Maryland, uh, it fell to five and six with a 59-18 loss to number six Michigan at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium and College Park on Saturday. The Terrapins suffered yet another humiliating loss to a ranked Big Ten team. Uh, We have talked about this throughout this season on this podcast. Maryland now has concluded a 2021 season in which the team in games against ranked Big Ten teams went 0-4 and got outscored by a combined score of 
216.70. Yes, 216.70. You had the 51-14 loss to then number five Iowa in College Park on October 1st. You had the 66-17 loss at then number seven Ohio State on October 9th. You had the 40-21 loss at then number seven Michigan State on November 13th. And now we have this 59-18 loss to number six Michigan in College Park. The extent to which Maryland has gotten smashed by ranked Big Ten teams since joining the Big Ten cannot be overstated. Uh, November 2016, the Terps over a three-game stretch at then number three Michigan, home to then number five Ohio State, and at then number 18 Nebraska lost all three games by a combined score of 149-13. 2017, the Terps played four games against ranked Big Ten teams. The Terps lost all four of those games by a combined score of 183-37. 2018, the Terps lost a thrilling home game against then number 10 Ohio State, 52-51 in overtime in November, but the Terps lost their other three games against ranked Big Ten teams by a combined score of 103-24. 2019, the Terps finished 1-8 in the Big Ten, got outscored over the eight losses, 369-96. It is humiliating as a Maryland fan anytime our team faces a ranked Big Ten team. I mean, with rare exception, Maryland gets obliterated, and Maryland got obliterated again on Saturday. Uh, the Terps on Saturday allowed Michigan quarterback Cade McNamara to go 21-28 for 259 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Terps sacked him just once. And the Terps quarterback, Talia Tungavailoa, was not good. He had a bad game. Now look, the Terps receiving core has been ravaged by injury. Receiver Dante Demas Jr. suffered a season-ending leg injury in the loss to Iowa. Receiver Jayshon Jones suffered a season-ending leg injury in the loss at Ohio State. So I am sympathetic to Talia in that regard. But you also can't just absolve Talia of all wrongdoing. And Talia on Saturday threw for just 178 yards on 33 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.39. Talia completed just 19 of his 33 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 57.58. Talia threw a pick six. He threw a late third quarter 42-yard pick six to Michigan defensive back DJ Turner. And you know, if you saw the play, Talia on the play pulled up big time when he had a chance to tackle Turner or at least push him out of bounds. I understand as a starting quarterback, you do want to avoid injury. I get that. But I don't know, man. That was not a great look, that moment there for Talia. Now, look, Talia did do some good things. He is a very talented player. And, you know, he has not been Maryland's biggest problem this season. I, I do want to make that clear. Talia had a third quarter, second and goal, 70-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Carlos Carrier, as Talia did a nice job of completing the pass off running to his right. Uh, Talia had a third quarter, second and 10, 17-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run. But, you know, remember this season started off with Talia on fire. And there was actually some talk, maybe possibly, of Talia being a dark horse contender for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, That seems like about 10 decades ago at this point. Uh, We also had this on Saturday. The Terps on the kickoff that followed Talia's touchdown pass to Carrier gave up an 81-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Michigan receiver A.J. Henning. The Terps routinely have hurt themselves this season, and like I said, uh, they routinely get embarrassed in games against ranked 
Big Ten teams. And so head coach Mike Loxley during his postgame press conference sang a familiar refrain of not good enough, blame me. You know, he says this after every blowout loss to a ranked Big Ten team. And look, what else is he going to say? I get that. But at some point, Loxley's teams have got to start not getting eviscerated in these games against the upper echelon of the Big Ten. Here was Loxley during his postgame press conference. Yeah, um, um, obviously credit Michigan uh, for the game they played. Uh, we just weren't good enough today. Coaches, players, um, it all starts again, as I always say, with me. Uh, disappointed for our 25 seniors that we honored uh, today that we weren't able to, to play to play better for those guys. But as I told our team, we can't hang our heads. Um, we got to flush this one pretty quickly because we still have a lot to play for uh, next week going up to New Jersey. Uh, but an opportunity to win six, which we hadn't done since 2016. So um, I expect this team will continue to show up like they have. And as I said, we got to flush this one quickly uh, and find a way to go up to Rutgers and get a win. Yeah, and that will be the Terps' final shot at a six win this regular season. Maryland at Rutgers this Saturday at noon. Well, Virginia got to six wins a while ago, but the Cavaliers now are at five losses. Cavs fell to six and five with a 48-38 loss at number 18 Pitt on Saturday. Pitt with this victory clinched the ACC's Coastal Division. The Cavs, who lost their third consecutive game, would have won the Coastal had they won this game and then won their final regular season game, which is against Virginia Tech at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville this Saturday afternoon at 345. So this game for Virginia at Pitt was tied at 31 in the third quarter. Pitt, though, then won the rest of the game 17-7. Cavaliers quarterback Brendan Armstrong did play. Uh, He returned from a one-game absence that was caused by a rib injury that was suffered in the Cavs' 66-49 loss at then number 25 BYU on October 30th. And Brendan Armstrong was really good. I give the guy full credit. He clearly is not at 100%. But he comes into this game, a huge game for Virginia, a game that sets up as a duel between Armstrong and Pitt stud quarterback Kenny Pickett. And Armstrong more than held his own. You could argue Armstrong outplayed Pickett in this game. Facing a Pitt defense that through week 11 was number 11 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN, Armstrong went 36 of 49 for 487 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He did take five sacks, but the guy averaged 9.94 yards per pass attempt against this very good pit defense, again, off having missed a game due to a rib injury. Uh, the Cavs caught a huge break in this game, too, when perhaps Pitt's best offensive player, linebacker Servassier Dennis, was ejected from the game for targeting on the fourth snap of the game. I love that name, though. Servassier Dennis. Not Corvassier, okay? We're not saying Pasta Corvassier like Buster Rhymes did years ago. Servassier Dennis. Maybe Pitt's best defensive player was out of the game on the first offensive drive of the game. So Virginia caught a big-time break there, but ultimately was not able to capitalize enough on that. And a big part of that was the Wahoos bad defense. Uh, now look, the Who's defense did have its moments in this game, but the Who's defense ultimately was not good. So the Who's in facing Kenny Pickett did register two interceptions and three sacks and did hold Pickett to just 26 completions on 41 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of 63.41. So it wasn't all bad from the Who's defensively, but the Who's also allowed Pickett to throw for 340 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Those things are sort of problems 
And two of those touchdown passes were fourth down touchdown passes. A second quarter, fourth and four, 18-yard touchdown pass, and a third quarter, fourth and one, 34-yard touchdown pass. The Who's got torched by Pitt receiver Jordan Addison, who, by the way, is a local. He went to Tuscarora High School in Frederick, Maryland. Jordan Addison in this game, 14 receptions for 202 yards and four touchdowns on 19 targets. 78 of his 202 yards were yak yards. And the Who's allowed Pitt running backs Vincent Davis, Rodney Hammond Jr., and Israel Abenakanda to combine for 30 carries for 185 yards and a touchdown, 6.17 yards per carry. So what has been the biggest weakness by far for Virginia this season was, again, a major weakness on Saturday, Virginia's defense. But again, Brennan Armstrong was really good. I mean, I think this guy deserves so much credit for the season that he has had. Some big numbers were put up by Cavs skill position players. Cavs receiver Keaton Thompson, 11 receptions for 126 yards and a touchdown on 14 targets. And he had three carries for 17 yards and a touchdown. Cavs receiver Dontavian Wicks had 10 receptions for 144 yards on 13 targets. Cavs did get back running back Wayne Taulapapa from a one-game absence, though he had just two carries for 11 yards. I'll tell you something else that really hurt Virginia. Uh, the Hoos gave up a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Pitt running back Israel Abanacanda in the second quarter. So overall, this has been a good season for Virginia, but it's disappointing that Virginia now finds itself in this three-game losing streak and that Virginia had a shot to win the Coastal Division and uh, ends up losing at Pitt. Next up for Virginia, home to Virginia Tech this Saturday afternoon at 345 in the regular season finale for both teams. And if you're a Virginia Tech fan, uh, you probably can't wait until the end of this regular season. Although the Hokies still could get to bowl eligibility. That's true. But the Hokies now are 5-6, and six, coming off a 38-26 loss at Miami on Saturday night. So here you have the Hokies four days after the departure of head coach Justin Fuente. And the Hokies in their first game under interim head coach J.C. Price. And the Hokies trailed 21-3 in the second quarter and trailed 31-13 in the third quarter. Now, the Hokies did battle. Hokies cut their deficit to 31-26 in the third quarter, thanks in part to recovering an onside kick, but the Hokies then lost the fourth quarter 7-0. Uh, Tech got carved up by Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. I talked about him during our Goldilocks segment on Friday's show, episode 191. Tyler Van Dyke has done a really nice job as Miami's starting quarterback in place of the injured De'Ara King, and while Van Dyke only completed 19 of his 33 pass attempts, he threw for 357 yards and three touchdowns versus no interceptions. 10.82 yards per pass attempt, and Tech did not register a sack the entire game. Tech's defense was a real problem in this game. Tech gave up a Tyler Van Dyke fourth quarter, second and 10, 55-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Mike Harley. Then you had what happened for the Hokies at quarterback. Interim head coach J.C. Price benched starting quarterback Braxton Burmeister in favor of the Texas A&M transfer, Connor Blumrick. Now, Connor Blumrick is a big kid. Uh, Blumrick is listed as being 6'5", 215. Burmeister is listed as being 6'1", 205. Burmeister did complete 14 of his 17 passes, but he threw for just 109 yards. That's 6.41 yards per pass attempt. He did have a touchdown pass versus no interceptions, and uh, he took two sacks, and he had 10 carries for 52 yards, which includes the yardage lost on his two sacks. So it's not like Burmeister was atrocious, 
But Blumrick was brought into the game. Price during his postgame session with reporters said that he rode the, quote, hot hand in going with Blumrick. But Blumrick was very mixed. From a passing standpoint, he had two touchdown passes versus no interceptions. He went 5 of 11, though, and he threw for just 39 yards. 39 yards on 11 pass attempts, 3.55 yards per pass attempt. He took two sacks, but he was impactful as a runner. Blumrick had 20 carries for 132 yards. And again, that includes the yardage lost on the two sacks. It has not been a very good season for Braxton Burmeister. The thinking has been, well, he's the best of an underwhelming lot for Virginia Tech at quarterback. And, you know, while Connor Blumrick has something to him, I don't know, if you're a Tech fan, you tell me, were you blown away by what you saw from Connor Blumrick in this game? Now, maybe we see Blumrick as a starter against Virginia, but I'm not sure that it really matters all that much. Another thing for Tech in this game, receiver Trey Turner aggravated that throat injury uh, that he has, and thus was limited in his playing time. The throat injury made it dangerous for Trey Turner to fly, so he was actually driven down uh, to Florida for this game. And then we have Navy. Uh, the midshipmen fell to 2-8, and eight, a 38-35 loss to East Carolina at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on Saturday. The midshipmen led in the fourth quarter 35-27, but that allowed ECU to score the game's final 11 points, and the Mids defense was bad. Are you noticing a trend in this Week 12 for the Big Four in terms of college football in this area? Maryland's defense, bad. Virginia's defense, bad. Virginia Tech's defense, bad. Navy's defense was bad. The Mids allowed ECU to total 563 total net yards of offense and to average 8.4 yards per play. The Mids got shredded by ECU quarterback Colton Ehlers, who went 27 of 32 for 405 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. And the mids did not register a single sack. And the mids allowed Ehlers to have seven carries for 48 yards. Uh, Ehlers put on a clinic in this game. But Navy did have its best offensive game of the season. The biggest problem for Navy this season has been the offense. The defense actually hasn't been that bad, you know, all things considered. Navy's offense really has been the problem. Navy's offense did quite well in this game. Navy averaged eight yards per play. Uh, Navy totaled 44 carries for 345 yards and two touchdowns, 7.84 yards per carry. Navy quarterback Ty Lovatai had by far his best passing game of the season, 4-4 for 37 yards and two touchdowns versus no interceptions. He took just one sack. He had 13 carries for 51 yards. Navy slot back Corlinos AC, six carries for 155 yards. How do you like that? Six carries for a buck 55 included in that mix. An early fourth quarter, first and 10, 90 yard under center pitch triple option touchdown run down the left sideline. Also, the mids who have been wretched on special teams this season made a big special teams play. A slot back, Mikel Haywood, a fourth quarter, 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Look, Navy is not that good this season, but Navy battles. Navy fights. You know, Navy is maybe the most likable team in the FBS. And yes, another loss, but this certainly was a close loss. And if you're Navy, Service Academy, all the things working against you from a football standpoint, uh, I do think there's something in playing a team like ECU close. Next up for Navy at Temple this Saturday at noon. And let's talk some college basketball before we call it a show. We had Maryland and Georgetown playing at the same time on Friday evening. Each team had a 6.30 tip. Each team won, although one of the teams did not win easily. Uh, that team would be number 20, Maryland, which improved to 4-1 with a 69-67 win over Hofstra at Xfinity Center 
in College Park. This was yet another close game for the Terrapins to begin their season. Terps trailed by four points at 67-63 with a little more than a minute left in the second half, but then ended the game on a 6-0 run. The Terps have played five games so far this season. All five games have been against non-Power 5 conference teams. All five games have been at home, but four of the five games have been relatively close. The Terps in a 71-64 win over George Washington in College Park on November 11th, led by just two points at 66-64, with a little more than two minutes left in the second half, but ended the game on a 5-0 run. The Terps in a 68-57 win over Vermont in College Park on November 13th, trailed by seven early in the second half at 39-32, but then won the rest of that game 36-18. And then we had the Terps lost, that 71-66 loss to George Mason in College Park last Wednesday night. So the Terps have been living dangerously so far. Now they have played some pretty good teams and the Terps have mostly been winning, but these games have been quite close. I said, these games have been quite close. It means you're close. Yes, thank you, Brucey. And a big reason that these games have been quite close is the Terps three-point shooting, which has been horrendous. Uh, the Terps on Friday evening won despite going just 5 of 22 on threes. Maryland, through five games, is shooting just 25.4% on threes. Uh, also, the Terps in this win over Hofstra won despite committing 16 turnovers. But the Terps won. Uh, they rebounded well. Terps had 13 offensive rebounds to Hofstra's two and 12 second chance points to Hofstra's two. And the Terps did well on twos. Uh, didn't do well on threes, but did do well on twos. Terps went 20 of 38 on twos, outscored Hofstra in the paint 34-20. In terms of the comeback, again, the Terps trailed by four points at 67-63 with a little more than a minute left in the second half, but then ended the game on a 6-0 run. Eric Ayala, two huge plays over the final 30 seconds of the game. He had a game-tying driving layup to tie the game at 67 with 23.3 seconds left in the second half. And he blocked a deep three-point attempt by Hofstra's Omar Silverio with the game tied at 67 with less than 10 seconds left in the second half. Ayala only went 2-9 on threes and 3-8 three of eight on twos in 35 minutes as a starter, but he finished with 14 points, five rebounds, two assists versus no turnovers. And the big block. Again, Ayala, two big winning plays late in the game. Utah transfer, Ian Martinez, 2-2 two two on free throws with 4.2 seconds left in the second half to give the Terps a 69-67 lead. Those were his only free throw attempts in the game. Uh, Martinez in 30 minutes off the bench, went just 1-5 on threes, committed three turnovers and four fouls, but he also went 4-4 on twos, finished with 13 points, five rebounds, and two assists. And 6'9 freshman Julian Reese, Juju as he is called, a consensus four-star recruit from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. He connected on a big jump hook in the paint to cut the Terps deficit to two. It's 67-65 with 105 left in the second half. Reese in just 19 minutes off the bench, 10 points on five of eight shooting, six rebounds, all of which were offensive rebounds, three assists versus three turnovers, and two blocks. Uh, Reese played quite a bit over Georgetown transfer and 6'11 big man Kudis Wahab. This was interesting. Head coach Mark Turgeon went with a small lineup for much of the game, and the consequence of this was Wahab playing, forget this, just eight minutes as a starter. Yeah, Kudis Wahab started, ended up playing for just eight minutes. It's not like he was horrible when he was out there. Uh, six points on three of three shooting, six rebounds, did commit two turnovers, did commit two fouls, 
But he was turgid during his post-game press conference on how much of him going small was why Wahab only played for the eight minutes. Yeah, that was everything. So I told Q at halftime, I said, Q, this might not feel right, but I'm, gonna, I'm going small, right? And I said, we got a lot of Big Ten games coming up. We got a lot of big games coming up. I said, they're going to have big seven-footers out there that can't shoot or whatever you're going to play. I said, tonight, it's the Larry Brown in me. I had to figure out how to win the game, right? And it was lineups we haven't practiced. And it didn't always look great, but it gave us the best chance to win. And Q was good with it. So um, he's happy we won. And um, I'm glad we were able to win. And next game, we'll see, you know, what it is. But he's a big part of us. And Juju just can move his feet a little bit better, can guard a little bit better, and, and gave us great minutes again. So but now Q is still our starting center and a big part of this team. All right, but understand that Kudis Wahab's playing time has been down for a few games now. Uh, Wahab in the win over Vermont in College Park on November 13th played for just 20 minutes as a starter and only committed one foul. So it's not like he was in foul trouble in that game. He finished with six points on three or four shooting, eight rebounds and two blocks. And Wahab in the loss to George Mason in College Park this past Wednesday night played for just 16 minutes as a starter despite committing no fouls. He had eight points on three or four shooting and five rebounds. But like the Turge has been saying, Maryland is a work in progress. Uh, more from Turgeon during his postgame press conference on this win over Hofstra. Great. That's a great win for us. I don't, you know, we, um, we played better, played with confidence. We expected to win even when we were down four late. Um, give Hofstra credit. We knew they were going to make shots. Those kids can make incredible shots. And they made them. They're really hard to guard. And uh, we made it a decision that we were going to go small, uh, played a small lineup. We haven't practiced small lineup at all, but I thought it was the best way to win. And, um, you know, we got lucky at the end. Well, we didn't get lucky. We executed. We got layup by Eric. We got layup by Juju. And we got two free throws. And that's how you come back and win. You're not shooting jump shots. And uh, Eric had the big block uh, there. And I thought defensively, the last three possessions defensively, we couldn't really play any better uh, than we played uh, when the game was on the line. So, we didn't panic. I thought we got a little sped up Wednesday night. We didn't panic tonight. And um, we're a work in progress, but that's a good team. I don't know if that's a really good team. They had Houston down 13 with seven to go. It's a really good team, guys. And um, for us, where we are right now, it's a great win for us. And next up for the Terps is a great trip. They're going to the Bahamas, uh, Maryland, Richmond, Louisville, and Mississippi State will be competing in the Baja Mar. Hoops Bajas Championship. Terps will face Richmond this Thursday night, Thanksgiving night at 7. Meantime, Georgetown got itself an easy, breezy win on Friday evening. Hoyas improved to 2-1 with an 83-65 blowout of Siena at Capital One Arena. Hoyas never trailed in the game, led by at least 10 points for the entire second half. Hoyas held Siena to just 9 of 32 on threes, and the Hoyas shooting was lights out. Georgetown went 12 of 18 on threes and 16 to 31 on twos. And no Hoya was better than Caden Rice. Caden Rice is a graduate transfer from the Citadel. He was tremendous. He went 7 of 10 on threes. Finished with 23 points and 4 rebounds in 30 minutes as a starter. Caden Rice is what you call a volume shooter. Caden uh, Rice last season and starting all 25 of the Citadel's games attempted 264 threes. Uh, that's nearly 11 three-point attempts per game. Now, he only shot 34.8% on those threes, but he was certainly on 
on Friday evening. So too is graduate student Donald Carey. He went three or four on threes, four or five on twos, finished with 20 points, four rebounds, four assists versus two turnovers in 30 minutes as a starter. Point guard Dante Harris, two or two on threes, three or five on twos, finished with 14 points, four assists versus no turnovers, two steals, and three rebounds in 28 minutes as a starter. 6'5", five-star freshman Aminu Muhammad did struggle in terms of shooting. Went just 2-9 on twos, 0-1 on threes, 7-9 on free throws, but he did have 11 points and seven rebounds in 31 minutes as a starter. But otherwise, not many nits to pick with this win for Georgetown. Hoyas had 21 free throw attempts to Siena's four, although the Hoyas went just 15-21 on their free throws. Uh, Hoyas did have just five offensive rebounds to Siena's 15, but a lot of that was the Hoyas making so many shots and Siena missing so many shots. Uh, Georgetown has looked much better over its last two games since that debacle of a season opener, that 69-60 loss to Dartmouth at Capital One Arena on November 13th. Hoyas had that 79-57 blowout of American at Capital One Arena this past Tuesday night. Next up for Georgetown, it'll be playing in the Wooden Legacy in Anaheim, California. Uh, That event will feature Georgetown, San Diego State, USC, and St. Joseph's. Hoyas will face San Diego State this Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, late night at 11.30. All right, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 193, will feature much more on our now four and six Washington football team off the 27-21 win at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. We'll have Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference on Monday to go through. Also, I'll post-game Monday night's Wizards game. Wizards will host the Charlotte Hornets Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.